we appreciate what God is doing. I had uh, a different message that I had studied for today, but in light of what's happened over the last week, I felt like I needed to address it. And so I want to speak to you from the topic, the time piece. Everybody say the time piece. Now, the message that I'm going through today, if you've been in uh, Karen's class, I'm sure you're probably going to hear some things that you've heard already, but I, I want to try and tie some things together for you. The, when Jesus is teaching, the Pharisees come to him and they ask him to give them a sign. And he basically looks at them and he says, you know, you can tell the weather's going to be bad in the morning if the sky is red and you can discern that it's going to be fair weather if it's red at night. He said, but you can't discern the sign of the time. So God has set for us a timepiece. I thought about what Jesus told the Pharisees, and my dad was a sailor, and so growing up, not knowing what Jesus had said, not having been in church, but there used to be a saying among sailors, read at night, sailors delight. I'm sorry. Yeah, read at night, sailors delight, read in the morning, sailors warning. So I understood that, but I didn't know where that came from. God wants us to be prepared. How many of you have ever had a watch? Anybody? Now, here's the thing is that uh, today everybody carries a phone. I loved watches. I just could never keep up with them. <laughs> I, I had a watch when I did mission work that gave me two times so I knew what time it was when I was in Russia, and I knew what time it was when I was back home. I just wish my wife had known that. She would, she would get her times mixed up and call me. I'd be in Russia, and the phone would ring at like 1.30 in the morning, and I'd be waking up, and I'd say, babe, and she said, what time is it there? <laughs> Such a watch. <laughs> Timepiece. Problem is that, like I said, I, I had a tendency of losing timepieces. I've, I've lost timepieces that were very expensive. And we have to be careful that we don't lose sight of our timepiece because if we can't tell what time it is, we can be caught unaware. Now, in the book of, uh, before I go there, how many of you know that God has kind of built in a timepiece in nature itself? And so this morning, uh, Leonard came in and he brought me some things to show me and I, I asked him if I could use them for the message. Any, anyone recognize that? Wave your hand if you know what that is. Hold, hold your hand up if you know what it is. Hold your hand up if you don't know what this is. Hold your hand up if you got hands. Okay. All right. This is a what? It's a buckeye. Now, my grandfather used to carry one of these in his pocket, and I never really knew why, but as a kid, I was always enthralled by him. He gave me one. I'd carry it around. But these, these come in a pod, but typically, there's one buckeye in a pod. 
but this year, something's happening. Leonard found this pod, and there's like, I think there's five Buckeyes in this pod. And something, and it's not just with the Buckeyes, but it's in the pecan trees. Pecan trees are, a lot of the pecan trees, the branches are bending over because there are so many nuts in a cluster. And it's happening in walnut trees as well. And I was talking to Leonard, and Leonard said, looks like we're going to have a bad winter. And I, I said, what are you talking about? He said, this, this is what the old timers used to look as, as a sign or, if you will, a timepiece that when the trees really put out a lot of nuts and there, there was, a, 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 you know, an abundance of them, that it was like God giving preparation for the animals to be able to store in an abundant supply. And I thought about what he did for Israel when they were going through the wilderness. He said, on, now on the sixth day, you collect enough for two days. You collect enough manna for two days. And they, they, you know, some of them were trying to be greedy before that. And so they were taking in more than they needed every day. And they found out that when they did that, that it just bred worms and it stank. But when they really needed it, God made sure that they had it and that it was well kept. How many of you know that God is able to well keep us? Amen. So in the book of Matthew, uh, I, I'm going to read from the 24th chapter, but let me kind of give you a prelude to what's coming up to this. Jesus has gone into the temple and he's, he's looked at the temple, and he's really rebuked those that are there. And he talked about how oft he would have gathered them together as a hen gathers her chicks. He said, but you wouldn't let me. He said, therefore, your house is left to you desolate. And he makes a statement. He said, you won't see me henceforth. In other words, you're not going to see me come back to this temple again until you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. He walks out of there, and when he walks out of there, this, this conversation takes place with the disciples. The disciples are trying to show him that temple because the temple was the center of all Israel's worship. It was, it was the center of their life. This is the conversation that takes place. And Jesus said to them, pointing at the temple, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. They're trying to bring him back to it because that was their center of life. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. He would go on down that chapter and give a series of signs, or a timepiece, if you will, that people would be able to look at to try and discern where they were. Now, what Jesus said to them took place. When he looked at the temple, he said, not one stone will, left, will be left upon another. In 70 A.D., when Titus conquered Jerusalem, he, he wanted to, he literally wanted to spare the temple, but the soldiers were in such a rage 
that they ripped the temple apart until historians wrote that there wasn't one stone left upon another in that building, that they had torn it apart. Now, the things that follow, I, I'm just going to touch on these three things that he spoke about here. He, he talks about not one stone upon another. He says that many false Christs will rise. Now, there were false Christs rising up within Jesus' day. You read about them literally in the book of Acts in the fifth chapter, 36 and 37th verses. It talks about a man by the name of Theotis and another Judah, the Galilean, being false Christ and people went after them. Then in Acts 21, Paul talks about an unnamed Egyptian Jew that people followed believing he was. Matter of fact, Josephus, the historian, recorded that while Nero was emperor and Felix was the procurator of Judah, there were so many impostors making that claim that someone was taken out and killed almost every day. So Jesus speaks about them in his day, and we've seen it rise, but what happens is there's a snowball effect of what Jesus spoke to us. It starts out and it begins to bend, build momentum as it comes. Let's look at some of the people that you might be familiar with that made this claim in our lifetime. There was a man by the name of Charles Manson. You remember him? He wrote Helter Skelter and Blood on a Refrigerator, led his group in a rampage, and he claimed to be the Messiah. Another man by the name of David Koresh. David Koresh was located in Waco, Texas, had followers. He was stockpiling weapons, and his movement ended in a blazing inferno in that building. Then there was a man by the name of Jim Jones. A friend of mine knew Jim Jones. He said that when Jim Jones started out, he was right. He, he wanted to do what was right. And he went and met a man in California, and when he came back, he was completely different. He led a group of people to Guyana and over 700 lives taken with cyanide lace Kool-Aid that they drank together. Finally, the man that Jim Jones went to meet in California's name was Father Divine. Father Divine claimed to be the Messiah. A friend of mine by the name of Johnny James knew Father Divine. He met him. Let me say it that way. He met him. He told me, he said, man, his disciples were crazy. He said, but they could sure make a good plate of ham and beans. And so he went there every day to eat. He said he was eating in there one day, and they were all chanting about Father Divine being God. And he said, I'd finally had all I could take. And he said, I slapped my hand on that table and jumped up and said, Father Divine ain't God. He ain't never been God, and he ain't never going to be God. He said, they jumped on me and beat the snot out of me. He said, man, they had my shirt ripped off. And he said, I finally looked at him and said, wait a minute, you take me to Father Divine, and I'll prove to you that he's not God. He said, if I can't prove it, you can go ahead and kill me. So they took him to Father Divine's office. He said that they walked him in and threw him in the floor and said, Father Divine, this is the infidel that's blasphemed and said that you're not God. He said, Father Divine turned around in that big patent leather chair and looked over his desk at him and said, so young man, you say I'm not God and who might you be? Johnny James jumped up and yelled, I told you he's not God. If he was God, he'd know who I was. 
false Christs. He talks about that there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Now, we know that there's always been war since history existed. Adam, you know, with Adam's own family, his brother killed, Cain kills his brother Abel, and there's always conflict and violence. But on July 28, 1914, the First World War started, a war that pulled in nations, enough nations to be labeled a world war. 25 years later, a second world war would come into play that was called the war to end all wars. And so after the second world war, there was a, a organization that was developed called the UN. And now virtually anytime there's a conflict anywhere in the world, it pulls nations into it. And so we see the wars and the rumors of wars. Now, he speaks these things to his disciples, but as this chapter progresses, all of a sudden Jesus is looking at them and he's talking to them, but he's no longer talking about them. He begins to speak to another generation that will exist. It starts in verse 32. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise, when you shall see these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, most scholars believe that the fig tree is Israel. Everybody say the timepiece. You have to look at the timepiece to know what time it is. You can't look, just look at your surroundings and distinguish what time it is. You have to look at the timepiece. You have to look at Israel. And so when you look at Israel, Jesus lays out this scenario. He said, now learn the parable of the fig tree. He's saying, there's something I want to teach you about Israel, that when its branches are young, its leaves are tender, when it first puts forth, know that summer is nigh, even at the door. So when did those branches come forth? When did it put forth those branches? 1948, Israel became a nation. It couldn't have done it before then because Jesus is alive Israel already exists, so it's not Israel existing as a group of people because that's happened in Jesus' day. He's looking to another time when all of a sudden Israel gets displaced and they're scattered all over the world, but they begin to grow again. They begin to put forth again, and he said, this generation won't pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, scholars believe that that generation is from the, well, they believe a couple things, but I'm going to tell you what I, the one I agree with. That if you were born from 1948 after that generation that was there when Israel put forth its leaves will be in existence when he comes back. Now, can we know that for sure? No, all we can do is look at the timepiece. All we can do is discern the time by keeping our eyes on Israel. 
Now, let's explore this a minute because when Israel put forth its leaves, we, how many of you remember, oh, several years ago, there was this movement that started that said 88 reasons the Lord is going to come in 88. Wave your hand if you remember that. So they, they, and what they were doing was they were going from 1948 and they were taking his words, this generation shall not pass. And they said, well, a generation is 40 years. So they said 88 reasons the Lord's going to come in 88. I was certain of one thing when he wasn't coming. Because the Bible said that no man knows the day or the hour. So you can't, you, you, you can't start laying dates and times, but you can discern seasons. You can't look at the timepiece and understand the season that we're in. You know, when I looked at that passage, and this isn't something I ever preached, but I'm going to let you into something I thought, okay? I used to look at that and I thought, you know what? If this is true, if, if Israel is that timepiece, and I believe it is, and that if when it put forth its leaves was 48, then God said that a man's life is 70 years. And he said he may be blessed and get 80 years. So I used, to, I, I used to sit and think, if that's true, then we ought to see some things begin to change and happen that we've never seen before between the years of 2018 and 2028. Any of you ever see some things change? happened that you've never seen before in the time frame that I'm talking about now what triggered this for me was what was coming God wants us to be ready look at first Thessalonians 4 16 to 18 for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm a little perplexed because I see people start talking about rapture and they get scared to death. They start wringing their hands, going, oh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to talk about that. I'm thinking, what is wrong with you? It said, comfort one another with these words. What's he saying? I'm never going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm coming after you. And those that you've lost, you haven't lost. If they died knowing me, you're getting ready to see them again. <laughs> comfort one another with these words. Now, the very next chapter, the very next verse starts out this way. But of the times and the seasons, say it with me, the times and the seasons, timepieces. Of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. In other words, Paul's saying there's something that's understood among us. For, your, for you... For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. As travail upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. 
and that day should not overtake you as a thief. You're children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. What was Paul saying? Paul's saying, look, we understand that he's coming like a thief in the night. We get that. But we're not children of the night. So this shouldn't take us by surprise. We, we ought to be, we're children of the day, man. We, we need to know what's happening around us. And, and, and so he begins to talk to them about that anticipation and about that time. But I got to tell you, there's a verse here. There's a passage of this verse that stood out to me. And I'm going to get to it in just a second. But I, I want to preface it by saying this. It's dangerous for us to turn a blind eye toward the timepiece. It's dangerous for us to just live our life like nothing's happening while Israel is at war. It's dangerous for us to ignore that. He said, we are not children of the night, but children of the day. Now, having said that, we've been instructed concerning Jerusalem and Israel. In Psalms 122, verse 6, it says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee, verse 9, because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. In other words, you've got to remember where it all started. And God hasn't forsaken them. God's going to bring them back in, and we need to be aware of that and paid heed to that. Now, having said that, we're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but we know what's coming according to Scripture. Now, while I'm supposed to pray for something, I understand. I, 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 we pray for things all the time, don't we, concerning our families? But we know what's coming at some time. If the Lord tarry and I keep living, there's going to come a day when I'm not living here anymore. I'm living someplace else. We know what's coming, and we know what's coming concerning Israel. So I got to tell you that passage, that verse, where it says, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh. That's the first verse that came to my mind back a few years ago when all of a sudden I heard about the Abraham Peace Accords. I thought, man, this, this is wonderful. Peace in the Middle East. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for that. But according to Scripture, I know there's something coming. And that something started last week. The attack that happened to Israel happened unprovoked. It happened without warning. What they did was Hamas attacked, and they didn't attack soldiers. They didn't attack an army. They came in to neighborhoods and killed women and children. They brutalized the babies and elderly, set them on fire, 
cut off heads, brutalized them. This wasn't an act of war. It was an act of terror. Now, the United States is concerned right now because what they're afraid is others will see the strike against Israel and try and seize it as an opportunity to strike themselves. We saw that happen this week with Hezbollah out of Palestine, I'm sorry, out of Lebanon, attacking from the north, and now they're afraid that other nations are going to get involved. Jordan and Egypt and Syria and Iraq have already voiced their opposition against Israel. You say, what's all that got to do with us? Look at the timepiece. Zechariah 14, verses 1 and 2. Watch, for the day of the Lord is coming when your possessions, this is speaking about Israel, when your possessions will be plundered right in front of you. I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses looted, and the women raped. Half the population will be taken into captivity. The rest will be left among the ruins of the city. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? Are, 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 are you saying that that's what's happening right now? No, what I'm saying is this, is that it could be. What happened, what started last week, could very well be the beginning of what Zechariah is referring to. Now, keep in mind that it's a war, and listen to what he said, that their women are raped, that their villages are pilfered, that they're plundered, and that they'll be taken away, half the city taken away. They've taken hostages, not half the city, but they've taken hostages. What I'm saying is this. He said that I'll bring all nations down to fight at Israel, down to fight Jerusalem. That's what the United States is scared to death of right now, that this is going to escalate. And you need to understand this is a war. This isn't going to end in, in just a, a, a matter of a moment. They've got to protect themselves. They've got to defend themselves. So this very well could be the beginning of what Zechariah wrote about. Listen to what he says after that. When all that happens, when the nations of the earth come in and gather against Jerusalem, if this gets prolonged and it continues, there is a real possibility that nations are going to come in against Jerusalem. It's not like it hasn't happened before. Look at verse 3. Then, this is what he says is going to happen when all those nations come in. Then the Lord will go to fight against those nations as he has fought in times past. Let's take a look at the time past. How many of you remember June 5th to the 10th, 1967? What was that called? The Six-Day War. It's when all of a sudden, Israel gets attacked, and these are the major players that come together to attack Israel. Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and Kuwait. There were minor players in that war with Pakistan and Lebanon. Israel was fighting a combined army that was somewhere between two and three times their own size. They were outnumbered in their armaments. They had, by reports that I've read, they had 800 tanks while their enemy possessed over 2,500 tanks. 
and it looked like that they were going to be wiped off the face of the earth. It was stated by Egypt and, and, I, and Jordan and others that the intent was to drive them into the sea and to wipe them completely off the face of the earth. But when the smoke cleared, when it was all said and done, let me tell you what happened. And I got this from a firsthand account from a 96-year-old woman that we met while we were evangelizing. Her name was Sister Sass. She ended up trapped in Israel during that six-day war. She said it broke out and, and, and Israel feared. There was such a, a they, they were so concerned about what they were facing, they felt like could be annihilation. She said, but young men started running into the city and giving reports from the battlefield. They were all from different fronts of the battle, but they were all telling the same story. She said they came in and said we were pinned down, and it looked as if though we would certainly be defeated. He said, but suddenly a commander showed up on our, in our regiment, and we didn't recognize him. We didn't know who he was, but he started barking orders to us, and we just started following the orders. And when we did what he told us to do, the tide of the war changed. Young man after young man from different battlefronts came in telling the same story. I'm telling you that God himself said, I will fight as I have fought in times past. The next thing that happened I want to share with you, I learned from a documentary, that the Israeli forces needed to get across a field to be able to set up a defense position, and they only had a set amount of time to do it. The problem was is the field had been infiltrated with landmines. They, the, the enemy had put landmines all over, and they stood there, and they thought, how are we going to do this, man? We're going to lose. I mean, they, they, they feared for their lives. And then all of a sudden, as they stood there trying to figure out what to do, a wind started blowing. The wind got so strong that the young men had to wrap their heads and they hunkered down. They said, man, dust and sand was flying everywhere. And when the wind finally died down and they started uncovering their heads, they looked up to discover that every landmine had been exposed. All the dirt was off of it and they walked right across that field without injury. I'm telling you that if God be for us, who, my friend, can be against us? At the end of that battle, there were between 776 to 983 Israeli soldiers that had been killed. The losses that the enemy suffered were between 11,500 and 18,210. There's a God that knows how to fight on our behalf. Now, lest you, and I, I need to clarify this because there are people that can read that and then misinterpret it and say, but, but, you know, that scripture you're reading in Zechariah is something that already happened. No. And let me show you why. Look at Zechariah 14 and 4. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from the east to the west. Half the mountain will move toward the north and half toward the south. This hasn't happened yet. 
Zechariah 14, 16, and 17. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. What are you talking about? He's, th- this could be what we, what we saw. Ha- I'm not saying it is. I'm saying it could be the beginning of what Zechariah wrote about that's going to lead up to a millennial reign where God sets up a kingdom on earth and nations have to go up to him and be judged. Well, what about us? I mean, what, what, should we, what should we be doing? Well, Thessalonians told us, Paul told us in Thessalonians, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. It's time for us to wake up. We've got to do all we can while we can. When I was doing mission work in Russia, I knew that there was a limited window of opportunity that we had. And I told people, I said, this door won't be open forever. I said, it'll close and Russia will go back to its former self. It will go back to a, like the, the Soviet Union was. And friends, we watched that happen. But we were inside doing everything we could. We were ministering to children. We were ministering in hospitals. We were ministering in schools. We went to churches. We were telling those that didn't know God about God. We watched people take Bibles that some of them held for the first time in their life and hold it like a baby and begin to cry as they held on to the Word of God. And I thought, what an opportunity that we've been given. Now hear me. We've been given a wonderful opportunity today now hang here with me for just a second but here's the problem is we're not seizing it why well I can't speak for you but let me speak to what I know the devil knows that he has a limited amount of time and so he is pouring out attacks trying his best to discourage you and to pull you down. Has anybody experienced that? Let me just talk to you about my, my personal experience. Is, and and you, know, you know, from the first part of August until present, I had a health issue that, and, and many of you may not be aware of it, but nearly took my life. If, if, we had been, if I'd been operated on in Cape Girardeau, the physician that did the operation in St. Louis told me, or told my family that your husband most likely would never have survived that operation because when he got in, there was more stuff going on inside me than they originally knew, and they were going to go in blind in Cape. So what I experienced during this time, there was a peace that came over me but there was also this like pulling down and 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 just trying to you know get your joy and 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 pull at you and and you know when you don't feel good physically it's hard for you to get excited spiritually isn't it even though you know 
that this physical body can't, can't rule over you. It just makes it a little difficult. But I discovered a secret in the years that I've been living for God because this isn't the first time that the devil's come around. I've discovered that when he comes around trying to pull me down, my best resource, my best form of attack against him is to raise my hands and begin to worship God. It's to forget about what I'm going through and what I'm facing and raise my hands and begin to glorify God. And hear me today, if God rescued Israel, he's going to rescue you because we've been engrafted in to the vine. So this is what I'm telling you, that what you're experiencing is by plan. It's scheduled, it's a scheduled attack of Satan because he knows the impact you're going to have if you shake it. Would you somebody stand up and just do this with me? <laughs> just some of you shake a little bit better than others. What are you talking? I'm, I'm telling you, it's time to shake it off. Don't let the devil hang on to your victory. Don't allow him to take you out. You got to let God lift you up. You got to say, Here I am, God. Here I am, God. The times that I came under the most intense attacks were when others around me were being attacked. And then all of a sudden, I remember a, a, a car wreck in the middle of an interstate where I've got people laid out all over the place going on a mission trip, and I'm sitting there shaking, and all of a sudden, I hear God say, you can fall apart, uh, or you can begin to trust me and praise me. Uh, and I said, God, uh, I'm going to praise you. And as we're on our way to the hospital, uh, the Lord, I started talking to the Lord, and I said, God, I'm asking you to not allow the devil to get away way with what he just tried to do here. And God, I'm asking you to use me to make him pay for it. Somebody shout yes. Would you stand with me today? So when we got to the hospital, the lady that wasn't supposed to live got checked out. <laughs> the one that had a broken pelvis and wouldn't walk for six months was up the next day. I had a mother-in-law whose leg was broken. They ended up having to put screws in it, laying in an air splint, looking up at me saying, I think I can still make this trip. <laughs> Don't let him stop you. Don't let him stop you. In that hospital in Texarkana, fear had hovered over. And then all of a sudden I watched people start getting a hold of God and they said we're gonna go on we're not gonna let this stop us the devil was saying in my ear if God really wanted you to go on this trip this wouldn't have happened he's a liar he couldn't tell you the truth if he wanted to and I, I said I, I don't believe that then something happened we got to Mexico and the first night in Mexico in a service, I prayed for a baby that they had given up for dead. That's right. And God raised that baby to life. 
You don't know what God's getting ready to do in your life. You don't know how he's going to use you and the devil's trying to stop you from taking that first step. So I'm not saying that what happened last week is going to lead to this, but if it doesn't, you mark my word, it's going to happen at some point. It's going to happen, and it very well could be the beginning. Do you understand the things that have to take place before that comes to a culmination? We're gone. We, we're going to leave this place before the end of what I read happens. So if you planned on doing something for God, you better do it now. I don't want to get to heaven and say, Lord, you know, I really meant to go talk to my next-door neighbor about you, just never got around to it. I used to sing a song as a teenager. And I, 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 I was mopping the floor in a church. I wasn't, I didn't preach. I didn't. And that song said, if I should carry the gospel to the lost near and far, I had no clue that that would happen. I won't stand empty-handed at God's judgment bar, but I dare not relax until I've done all that he asked, lest I should leave behind an unfinished task. God believes in you. It's time that you believe in him the way he believes in you. Amen. Now, this is what I want to do in this place. If you're ready, if you're in here and you're saying, Pastor, I'm ready to shake this thing, this heaviness that's been trying to hang on to me. I didn't really understand where it was coming from or why it was coming, but I know now. I want you to come and stand with me right now. We want to pray for you. God is getting ready to use you like you've never been used before. It ought to make you happy that you, it makes the devil nervous when you wake up in the morning. It ought to make you happy to know that God's big enough that he can take someone. How do you know this? I've lived it. I know that God's big enough that he can take a kid that didn't know nothing and all of a sudden change his life and impact the lives of hundreds of people around the world. That's not bragging on me. That's bragging on him. I couldn't have done that. If you'd have known my wife when I first married her, she's not the same woman you see now. She, she wouldn't pull you over and say, hey, I got a scripture for you. She wasn't like that. I saw the transformation in her. And I watched it get a hold of her life to the point that, man, when we go shopping, I just turn her loose. I thought, man, well, you know, I got a revival coming up this weekend. She's going to have hers right now. I mean, it was, and, and what God has done in her life has continued to build and grow. He wants to do that for you. Do you understand that you are uniquely positioned, that you have a relationship with people that no one else can influence the way you can? But if we're just stuck in the rut and we're, we're asleep at the wheel, we got to wake up. We got to see the timepiece and say, here I am, God, use me.